Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint seeking to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that you will allow me to join in your gospel dialogue. With that introduction, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 18, following along with The Promises Shall Be Fulfilled, Doctrine and Covenants, section 45. It is, it is my joy, my absolute joy to be with you today. I just got back from a vacation to Cancun, Mexico, which is why last episode, um, if you listen to that one, and I said that I was up till, I can't even remember what time it was. And I was, I said, I said I would share more of why I was up so late recording and getting everything done and all that. It was because we were leaving uh, on our flight that morning, and I needed to have everything wrapped up, squared away, and so that was why. That is why I was up so late recording and getting everything ready and having it ready to be posted and all that. And we had a great time. It was a fantastic trip. It was just a, a nice lazy vacation where we were on the beach and. We did all-inclusive, so food was taken care of, and, and just fantastic getaway. Exactly what I think I needed. Just a good time to recharge and do absolutely nothing. Sometimes those trips are the best, or vacations, if you will. So I just feel, I mean, we got back over the weekend, and I just feel so recharged, ready to go. And I'd like to, we'll talk about this in the lesson, I think, because uh, it, it tied into what I was, you know, learning and studying from section 45. But I need to share a, I mean, I guess it's a repentance story, but I hope it can serve more as a, a learning lesson that I learned from myself, like my own actions and just making covenants and how the promises we make from those covenants we need to live worthy of in all times and places and the lesson I learned from when I didn't do that. While we were in Cancun and vacationing, I was studying Come Follow Me, but I didn't do it every day. And also my prayers definitely struggled, uh, specifically my morning prayers, where I'd like, wake up and we would just go straight to breakfast. And obviously it throws me, I mean, on vacations you're thrown off your schedule. and That's kind of what vacations are supposed to do, right? But it unfortunately threw me off of my, my reading schedule, my prayer schedule, my typical routines of how I like seek after the Holy Ghost for my day and arm myself with the armor of God. And uh, about midweek, it was probably on Thursday of the trip, I realized that I had gone probably two or three days and hadn't really said any sincere prayer yet to that point. And then hadn't had a really good scripture study. And I was disappointed in myself because even though I was on vacation, we don't take vacations from um, like our duty to seek after the Holy Ghost. It's not like just because you're on vacation, you somehow get a, a free pass to skip out on, on those important things. You might be able to obviously take a break from work and from life and, and your normal responsibilities, but not from the Holy Ghost. And not from serving the Lord. And so, while nothing bad happened, 
I did notice that I didn't have the Holy Ghost as strong with me on the trip, that I didn't have my thoughts focused on Christ, and instead I just had it focused on how can I be lazy. And that affected my spirit, affected my soul in a way that I did not like, and it also made it tough for when it, when we came back and we were at church and stuff to feel like I was really present, that I was actually there and that I had been thinking about the sacrament and the atonement in Christ. Um... Now, I know that might sound, I, I guess, extreme. I, I don't think it's extreme. It's just me being observant. It's not like I felt like, oh my gosh, now my soul is damned and I'm done. Not, not like that. I was just disappointed in the fact that I felt like I took a break from Christ. And it wasn't, I mean, it's not like I was purposely trying to do that. So it wasn't rebellious or anything, but it also wasn't, where I want my discipleship to be. And so that was disappointing. But it also served as a great lesson that Christ does not take a break. We wouldn't want the Holy Ghost to take a break from us. We don't want him to have a vacation from helping us. And in that same way, if we have, if we have this, those um, expectations of the Holy Ghost to help us, it's only fair that we have the same expectations of ourselves in honoring our covenants. We don't get to take a vacation from our covenants. And so that's the both, you know, repentant story of mine from my vacation, but also a valuable lesson that I came away with and hopefully a lesson that the next time that I take a vacation, whenever that might be, I remember this, this you know, the feelings that I had of not having the Holy Ghost is powerful in my life, and obviously do something different, repent, um, serve the Lord, and come closer to Him. So, I don't want to put like a damper on the trip, it was a fantastic vacation, but that was something that I came away with, recognizing I could have done better. Could have done better. So with that, let's get into this lesson, and uh, I'm really, I just, I'm excited to be back. Just feels great. Feels like I got full. I'm full of energy, and it's great. We live in perilous times, and that can be troubling. Even Jesus' disciples, when they heard him prophesy of the calamities that would occur in our day, were troubled. The early saints in Kirtland, Ohio, were also troubled by the perilous times in which they lived. Among other things, there were many false reports and foolish stories that were undermining the gospel message. But the Lord's response then and now is, "Be not troubled." Then and now, brothers and sisters, the message is, "Be not troubled." Yes. There is wickedness, but there is also evidence that God is hastening his work. Yes, there are perils predicted to precede the second coming, and we should be aware of them. But these aren't just warnings of danger. They are also signs that God's promises are about to be fulfilled. Perhaps this is why Doctrine and Covenants section 45, a revelation that describes many of these signs in detail, was received to the joy of the saints. Um, so obviously I, I paraphrased, I added my own emphasis there. In the introduction, but yeah, be not troubled. I think it's a message that we need more so than ever, and especially if we are to fulfill the duties that the Lord expects of us, especially in, in preparing for the second coming. Something that I've noticed for myself that I need to actively do is to be not troubled, but instead act with an eye of faith. And let's get into this lesson and talk about that more. That's something I want to focus on. So first, Let's go through this, the, the lesson outline as it is. The section I'm going to focus on is the Lord's promises will be fulfilled. 
But I have a couple thoughts just from the, the first two sections. First, Jesus Christ is our advocate with the Father. And I love in the second paragraph, it says, The following words from President Joseph Fielding Smith could help you ponder the verses, uh, the verse, Jesus is our advocate, pleading for us as our mediator through his ministry and labors to reconcile us, to bring us into agreement with God. First with that, I love that it says to bring us into agreement with God. The world tells us that we need to bring God into agreement with ourselves. We're actually seeing this with the Catholic Church. And uh, I saw a report this week that the Methodist Church is having a uh, schism, if you will, of there's a dissent over the belief of what should happen happen with LGBTQ couples and and uh, within the Methodist belief. And so there's you know there's two groups kind of breaking out there. Uh, that's just a report, so it's not like that's factual or happening right now. But it was in a talk with. Sounds like it happened actually at a conference with the Methodist leadership and it's a problem they're experiencing or, or trying to figure out and it's funny because I remember being at the Vatican I was in Italy and we were at the Vatican we were waiting in line to get in and there was a group uh, of women talking about with the new Pope and I keep, I'm so sorry I forgot who our, the current Pope is right now of the Catholic Church but he was new at the time, and I remember these women talking about how they really hoped that he would take a friendly stance towards the LGBTQ community, and then went on to say, because uh, essentially he needs to change the doctrine and belief system of the Catholic Church. And I thought it was interesting. It's an interesting discussion to listen in on, because it was almost like as if they were saying they were going to vote, right? Kind of like... Um, like in politics, we can vote on legislation, we can make changes. If something's not working, make a different, you know, make a policy change. Which, church culture, that's not, that's obviously not how it is at all. We don't vote on what the policies are going to be or anything we sustain. Very different than voting. And I think sometimes there's that, that uh, I don't know, you see it in different cultures. And the point I'm getting at is that the world, with this particular part, the world would tell us, that we need to bring God into agreement with our practices and beliefs. That is not God's doctrine. That is not the gospel. And that is not how we find true happiness and joy. We, and Christ is laboring to bring us into agreement with God. Because that's the only way we can achieve true happiness. And then in section 45, verse 3, it says, Listen to him who is the advocate with the Father, who is pleading your cause before him. Um... So that just goes back to that section heading where Jesus Christ is our advocate with the Father. To me, I love that. That helps me understand the relationship I have with Jesus Christ in its simplest form. Is that he's my advocate, meaning he's not trying to find all the things wrong with me. And I, I think this is a misunderstanding in, in a lot of the Christian world and the world in general. I've heard critics say that, you know, Christians and believers in Christ are just trying to find everything wrong with everyone else and why how they're not living the gospel. That is not how Christ is. And it's not how he is with us either. He's not sitting there thinking every sin and and you know keeping a tabs and saying, well, that's gonna be a notch against you. There's minus two points, there's minus ten, ten points from Gryffindor. That's not how it works at all. He is trying like he's our advocate, trying to bring us into a uh, well, like it says, in, in agreement with God, but he's pleading for our case before Heavenly Father. Like, 
Like it just makes me love my Savior so much more, recognizing the relationship I have with him that obviously, like I'm not supposed to be sinning and I'm supposed to keep the commandments. But when I slip up and fail, he's saying, no, no, like repent. Let's try again. I want you to try again. I want you to keep going. I am pleading your case before the Father. And just understanding that relationship is key to have faith. And that's actually, Joseph Smith said that actually in the, um, what is that called? Faith. I, have, I have the book in here somewhere. It's an uh, article, not the Articles of Faith. I know you guys are listening thinking like it's on the, t- you're, you're like yelling at me what it is. Lectures on Faith, thank you. Thank you. I, I heard it. I heard it through the, the waves. I, I heard. In the Lectures of Faith, he says uh, that to have true faith, we have to understand our relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. So we cannot have true faith until we understand their character. So recognizing this is an extremely important tenet to our faith and our progression, that Jesus Christ is truly our advocate. And then in the second section, the gospel is a standard to the nations. Anciently, a standard was a banner or flag carried into battle. It rallied and unified soldiers and helped them know where to gather and what to do. A standard is also an example or rule that other things uh, can be measured against. As you read Doctrine and Covenants, section 45, 9 to 10, ponder how the gospel covenants, how gospel covenants have been a standard for you. And so, like I said, for me on my vacation, realizing that I did not honor my covenant to remember my Savior, like we do in the... um, in the sacrament, that helped me to steer my ship back to and point to where I need to be, how what I need to do to keep progressing. And that's what covenants really do for me. It's like my compass. Um, when things get confusing, when there's calamities in the world, when there's chaos, just when there's small disturbances in my life, and there's that moment of like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Where do I turn? My covenants help anchor me help point me in the right direction and gives clarity to my life and the decisions I need to make. And also for me, it helps me prioritize my life, which is almost the most important thing from day to day is knowing what I need to focus on when there's so much happening and so much going on from balancing and juggling um, my family and Lex's needs and my kids needs. And as we're growing our family and Lex is pregnant and how to take care of her did that because that's obviously a different circumstance. And then um, being able to juggle work, which is important because if I'm not working, I'm not able to provide for my family, then I feel like I'm failing my family. And then it also, on the other hand, has personal benefits where it gives me purpose. It gives me drive in life. It gives me goals that I can set to help me propel myself forward. It also gives me a great social group and then there are my friends who I love and, and want to take care of and be there and mourn with them, my church calling and my church duties, all these things. And they start to stack up. And there are some days where it's like, how am I supposed to accomplish all that I have before me? Like there's such a insurmountable work, I can't get to all of it. And the gospel helps me prioritize my life. And my covenants help me do that. And like, it, I think it's a great image that the gospel is a standard, you know, it's like a flag to help me in the thick of battle to know exactly, even though there's so much happening and it can be stressful and overwhelming and be a cause of anxiety, can help stop, slow things down, 
take a deep breath, and then seek after the Holy Ghost and say, okay, now what? And I'll be honest, there are days where I, I don't know how I could do anything. I could accomplish anything that I'm able to accomplish if it weren't for the Holy Ghost than if it weren't for him help guiding me through kind of that turbulent time. So that's there for us. That's a blessing that's there for us. And all we have to do is slow things down, seek after the Holy Ghost. And I, I kind of stop and ask myself, how often do I do that? You know, and how can I do it more? It's like he's been there every single time I've slowed down and sought his guidance. So why am I not doing it all the time? And, and yeah, in the next section, the Lord's promises will be fulfilled. This is where most of my thoughts came from, um, which also makes sense because this kind of fit the majority of the scriptures read in section 45. War, iniquity, and desolation will precede the Savior's second coming. But be not troubled, the Lord said, for when all these things shall come to pass, you may know that the promises which have been made unto you shall be fulfilled. As you study Doctrine Covenants 45, consider focusing not just on troubling events that are prophesied, but also the blessings the Lord promises. For example, the promises in verses 54 to 59 about the Savior's millennial reign. You could do this by creating lists or by labeling or marking the verses. What do you find? This is the important question. What do you find that helps you be not troubled about the last days? Now, let's, let's go through some scriptures that stood out to me. I think those will help start to paint a picture that helped me answer this question and we'll see if any of these stuck out to you. In verse 26, and that in that day shall be heard wars and rumors of wars, and the whole earth shall be in commotion, and men's hearts shall fail them, and they shall say that Christ delayeth his coming until the end of the earth. I have seen this. I have seen this being fulfilled. I've seen wars, I've seen rumors of wars, we've heard of them. I've also seen men's hearts fail them. I've seen my friends' hearts fail them. I've seen friends who I thought were extremely valiant and faithful uh, leave the gospel, leave what they knew to be true. And essentially quit on the journey. And uh, I mean, I've, if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me probably talk about that, where it's one of the most troubling things to me is watching someone's heart fail them. And I've also had friends who have said that their heart's been failing them, and, they, and yet they continue on. They continue on the journey, and they keep trying and uh, keep working forward. And I feel like it's always my duty to help strengthen and uplift everyone that I can because I got a pretty strong heart. I don't have a lot of great things, but I have a strong heart for sure, and I f am anchored on Christ in this gospel. I, I still make countless mistakes, so many mistakes, and yet I know what I know, and I, I know there's just there's nowhere else to go. Like, this, this is my truth. The gospel's my truth, and there's just nowhere else that I could find the the truth that I find obviously through the gospel. And so that's my journey and my quest is to help be an anchor when others feel like they're falling in that storm to uplift and to say, hey, we're in this together. You are not in this alone. And and how can I help? In verse 35. And I said unto them, Be not troubled, for when all these things shall come to pass, you may know that the promises which have been made unto you shall be fulfilled. We can't fear the signs. We have to look forward in faith and recognize that these, these signs must be fulfilled. 
Like God's promises have to be fulfilled. And he will fulfill his promises. We know that. And so instead of looking at the calamities around us, this pandemic that's occurred, and being fearful of what comes next, we need to be faithful and recognize that he's given us the answers and we know how to prepare. And if we are faithful and if we are prepared, we'll have no need to fear. And that is a beautiful promise. In verse 54, And then shall the heathen nations be redeemed, and they that knew no law shall have part in the first resurrection, and it shall be tolerable for them. God is a merciful and just judge. That's something else we need to know about his character if we are to have true faith. He is merciful. He is just. Uh, again, I feel like the world does not understand this. They I, they feel like, like God is not a merciful God. Or, on the flip side, that he's not a just God. That he just is full mercy and everyone makes it into heaven. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And don't worry, because God will only hit us with a couple stripes because he's merciful. Both are an incorrect understanding of Christ. He is the perfect balance of mercy and justice. And only by following his commandments can we understand and love him. That's what he asks of us, is to keep his commandments, to show our love for him. And then in verse 60, And now, behold, I say unto you, it shall not be given unto you to know any further concerning this chapter until the New Testament be translated, and in it all things shall be made known. It's interesting because the like Heavenly Father could have given them, or Jesus Christ in this incident, could have given them all the answers, could he not? And so my question is, why did he not give them all the answers at this moment? Which is going to be rhetorical because I'm about to answer it in my own opinion. I It's from... The scriptures from history and from my own personal experience, the Lord guides us line upon line, precept upon precept. That's how he teaches us that we have to learn. It's the path to learn. We don't just get an easy shortcut to anything when it comes to gospel learning and understanding. And so while he could have given them the answers, that's not how the plan of salvation works. And he expects us, he expected Joseph Smith, to use his faith uh, and Sidney Rigney, to use their faith and prove themselves and also to uh, be worthy of the further further blessings. And so, again, of learning of Christ's character, of learning about the plan, this is important to understand. In verse 62, For verily I say unto you that great things await you. This is a foundational verse, I believe. I, like, I want to ma- print this out, put it on my mirror. Great things await you. Great things definitely await you. That's a promise. If we remain faithful, and we that this should be a verse of hope for us. Say it every day, that great things await you. Always believe that. Always be hoping. And let that carry you over the, you know, the trials of life that we're going to go through. Because we're definitely going through trials. We're promised that. But great things await us. Verse 66 and 67. And it shall be called the New Jerusalem, a land of peace, a city of refuge, a place of safety for the saints of the Most High God, and the glory of the Lord shall be there, and the terror of the Lord also shall be there, insomuch that the wicked will not come unto it, and it shall be called Zion. This is what hit me hardest, I think. If you believe that God is just going to provide this Zion, that when he comes again, he's just going to say, and here it is, this is Zion, welcome, then you had better find me an instance in all the dispensations, in any scripture where God just provides his people the promised land. 
and I will seriously wait. I will wait for you to find me a place where he just gives it, hands it over, and that's it. Because it does not exist. I can, like, I already know it doesn't exist. Uh, Adam and Eve had to leave the Garden of Eden. So I guess the only time that he ever gave would be to Adam and Eve when he put them there. And when they left, they had to go and essentially create their own Zion uh, through the sweat of their own brow, and they had to work for it. Uh, with Enoch and his people, they had to work for, I think it was like over 200 years of working to become a perfected people. He did not just hand them that. And the reason I'm getting to this is that Zion is not just, it's not about a place. It's not about a place of, of this safe, like, oh, if we were just given Zion, then everything would be better. God expects us to create our own Zion. We need to be doing this in our homes. Right now, you can only control the domain of your homes. And then also, we've been uh, counseled and commanded to create Zion communities through our influence. Whatever influence we can obtain to be able to create Zion-like communities. And then from our communities to outreach further and further and further to continue that influence and spread it. If we are not doing that now... I. You should have no expectation of having part in Zion when Christ does come because it's going to be hard work. It is going to be something that us as a people must create and help create and build. It will not just be given. You don't just walk in and it's like, wow, I made it. Because that, like, there's no place in the scriptures ever where God just hands over Zion to his people. It's because we create it. We create that atmosphere. And so... Uh, I don't think people have that misconception, but just in case anyone did, I'd get it out of your head right now that if, if you think like, well, you know, right now my life's not Zion, but I can't wait when he comes back and it will be. It's not how it works. We need to be creating our Zion right now to the best of our abilities in our families, our homes, our communities, and be spreading that good influence. That's what's expected. And that's how we create Zion for when Christ does come, come back. It will not be this huge, uh, difficult process. Because like I said, he doesn't just hand over Zion and say, there you go. He works with people. Whoo. I feel like that was just like, whoo, I was just building up to that. You know, I was feeling that. And the next section, stand in holy places and be not moved. The two scriptures that I loved, one was in 32. And I think this actually is like the scripture that says this is, but my disciples shall stand in holy places and shall not be moved. Yep, told you. But among the wicked, men shall lift up their voices and curse God and die. This is a great scripture. And remember, like stand you in holy places, be not moved from them. And even if it's not a physical place, don't be moved from your spiritual place. Make that sure testimony in Christ, like it says in Helaman 5.12. Make that testimony. Do not move from it. Keep your foundation sure. And 57, for they that are wise and have received the truth and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived, verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. Question I have uh, for you to ponder is, is the Holy Ghost your guide? And if not, why not? We have to take the Holy Ghost for our guide every single day. It's the only way we're going to survive. President Nelson has said that multiple times. It's been repeated multiple general conferences at this point and multiple talks. We cannot survive the coming days if we do not have the Holy Ghost as our guide. This should be every morning the great thought that should appear in your mind is how can I obtain the Holy Ghost to be my companion this day? What do I need to do to make sure I have the Holy Ghost to guide me? Like I said... 
That is something that I clearly have not done every day, like on, on vacation, but it's something that drives me to be part of my every single day thought and motivation and uh, to make sure that I'm doing it because it's the only way I can survive. There, there's too many things. Satan has too much on his side to just be lax with our testimonies, with our faith, and with seeking after the Holy Ghost. And then the final section for personal study says, Zion is a place of safety for the saints of God. And now I'm going to jump down all the way back down to verse 13. It says, And confess they were strangers and pilgrims of the earth. Um, I'll go back to 12 just so that gives more context. Who were separated from the earth and were received unto myself, a city reserved until a day of righteousness shall come, a day which was sought for by all holy men, and they found it not because of the wickedness and abominations. And then 13, And confess they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Is this how we feel? Do we feel like we're strangers? We should. When I was down in Mexico, um, we would ask for the drinks at the the hotel. And it was like, you know, the pina coladas and the, uh, they had this thing called the banana monkey. It was fantastic. But all these drinks uh, naturally come with alcohol in them. And so we had to ask for no alcohol. And the amount of like looks we got from the, the servers, you know, where they're like, you're in Mexico. Why aren't you enjoying an alcoholic beverage? Like, that's why you came here, isn't it? And, of course, no. <laughs> we came to enjoy the beach and then get just some delicious fruity drinks. And uh, I did feel like a stranger. I felt like a visitor. Obviously, I felt like a visitor because I was definitely visiting. It wasn't my home. Uh, but I felt even stranger because of the practices and beliefs and of trying to keep the commandments. Uh, the way we acted was different at the resort than the other guests. The way we talked was different. And and yes, I did feel like a stranger. I want to always feel like a stranger. That's how I want to feel. Because if I feel like a stranger, then I know I'm probably on good ground. And so if you feel like a stranger, then good. Because this isn't supposed to be our home. We're not supposed to be part of the world. Um, we're supposed to be trying to make a Zion-like place and be strangers in that. And the question asks, what at the end, what can you do to help build Zion where you are? And I, I just like, I, I like that question. It got me pondering. Um, the last thing I want to share when the family study was in uh, the Doctrine and Covenants 45, 39 to 44. It says, how can you help family members understand what it means to watch for the Savior's second coming? Maybe you could think of an event that you are anticipating and share ways you are watching for that event. Or you could bake something together. And blah, 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 blah. Um, okay, we had obviously been anticipating our trip to Mexico. That was something that we had on the calendar for a couple months. And we were very excited for when it came. And it's funny, as, as I thought about what did that anticipation look like, as things got closer, there was more planning that, got, that was involved. There was more preparation uh, obviously more packing and I had to think through work things and obviously with the podcast last week and having to do that and I started making more checklists and I was more concerted in my efforts to get things done and checked off. In that same way, I can understand the anticipation for the second coming. We need to be activated. As saints, as members, we are. We need to be and should be activated as we are preparing. Uh, we should really be thinking and making all of the aspects of the gospel, especially repentance, daily part, an integral part of our life, if it's not already. And look at you know the weaknesses in our own characters and actions, 
to make sure that we're doing our best to conquer those Goliaths, our own personal Goliaths, every single day. And a verse that I think will help with this was in 44, and they that and they shall look for me, and behold, I will come, and they shall see me in the clouds of heaven, clothed with power and great glory, with all the holy angels. And he that watches not for me shall be cut off. We need to be looking for these signs. We need to be searching in anticipation. We are commanded to do it. And it's not about guessing what day or or the time. It's about watching for the signs and preparing. That is what we that is what I came away with from this section is that I need to be looking for the day and preparing and helping others prepare. And making sure every single day that the Holy Ghost is my companion, because without that, I can do nothing. I can get nothing done. I can accomplish nothing. And I will be no good to anyone. That is definitely what I learned from this week. So with that, that's all I got. That's, that's what I took away from this lesson. I want to hear what you had. So thank you for inviting me to your family room discussion. What ideas, questions, or insights did you have from Doctrine and Covenants, section 45? Until we meet again, have a blessed week.